Welcome to the DLA Piper Tech Law podcast series in preparation for the European Technology Summit 2021 to be held on the 5th of October. My name is Kit Burden and I'm a London-based partner at DLA Piper and global co-chair of the firm's technology sector. Today we have Mo Gordat with us. Mo is the former chief business officer of Google, a serial entrepreneur and best-selling author. So Mo, we're delighted to have you join us today on the, the podcast. Perhaps you could give us a little bit of a pen portrait about yourself for our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. Kate. It's it's a, it's a, an, an incredible opportunity to be here. I I have a bit of a an unusual life. I have two lives, if you want. One life is as a technology geek and executive. I started my life at IBM, then went to Microsoft, and then spent twelve years at Google. First seven years, I was the head of emerging markets where I started about half of Google's operations worldwide. And then I moved to Google X. I was the chief business officer of Google X for five years. And, you know, this was the time when we were in the middle of all of those incredible innovations, you know, um, self-driving cars and, and all of the robotics and artificial intelligence work and so on. Uh, I, I then, in 2017, published uh, a book that triggered the other side of my life, which was called Solve for Happy. Solve for Happy was an engineer's view of happiness. Uh, it, uh, it was translated into 31 languages, became an international bestseller, sold hundreds of thousands of copies because it really laid out the logic of happiness in a way uh, that was uh, accessible, if you want, to, uh, to the modern-day um, executive or business person or, uh, or you know, legal person and so on, people who are in the mainstream of life. Uh, um, Soul for Happy was the trigger of a movement uh, that's known as One Billion Happy, which is, uh, you know, my effort to spend uh, my life and resources in uh, in a time where, you know, in in in, uh, which is my effort to spend my life and resources in a way to get to a billion people, make a billion people happier, hopefully by the end of my life, and that would be a life uh, worth living. Uh, One Billion Happy, as you can imagine, triggered a lot of efforts. So. Uh, I'm uh, 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 the host of a very f- successful podcast. Slowmo is uh, is one of the top two percent worldwide. It's an opportunity for for people to slow down and really reflect and visit themselves, if you want, uh, to find that peace inside. Uh, I do a lot of public speaking, as you can imagine, including uh, our opportunity to speak today. Uh, but the interesting new part of my life, if you want, is the combination of both of those. So I bring my uh, happiness work together with my technology background in my next book, uh, Scary Smart. And Scary Smart is really about the future of artificial intelligence and the role humanity has to play uh, to to really save our world, to to uh, to create a utopia for all of us, if you want, instead of a dystopia where artificial intelligence might not be exactly what we want it uh, to be. And so um, Scary Smart is available for pre-ordering now, but uh, it's also going to be releasing in September. Uh, so, uh, uh, and, and hopefully it will communicate a message that will hopefully drive change in terms of the regulatory work, but also the individual's role uh, of how we can deal with artificial intelligence as it visits our life. So Mo, from our point of view at DLA Piper, obviously we advise a a broad range of clients, be they governments, Fortune 500 companies, technology companies, a whole range of organizations from different sectors on obviously the opportunities that technology offers them, but inevitably also some of the the risks and exposures that might come about as well. And I know in in your recent book, you posed the the proposition that uh, actually we now, we may now be facing yeah, 
unprecedented degrees of risk from a humanity perspective from technology. So how do you see that arising? Yeah, it, actually, it is uh, sadly uh, uh, very little spoken about. Uh, so so uh, th there has been several shifts in technology in our lifetime uh, that have made technology faster, better, smarter, whatever it is. But, but uh, there has never been a shift as drastic as the shift we are seeing with artificial intelligence, simply because every other technology we have ever developed uh, was a tool that was enhancing the performance of humanity. So you you um, you can walk at five kilometers an hour, but you know you you get into a car and you can drive at three hundred kilometers an hour. So it's enhancing your ability for mobility, if you want. Uh, but it's mm -hmm. totally within your control until self-driving cars are introduced. And self-driving cars are completely autonomous. They make decisions on their own. They communicate to each other. They learn on their own. At least for now, they are not. But in the future, they will be. And, and artificial intelligence is no longer uh, um, a technology that we, uh, we fully understand how we're developing. You know, it's, it's a, yeah. most, most AI uh, developers will tell you we've managed to succeed to make our AI intelligent. We just don't really know how AI is thinking. We don't know. Does that, it's that concept of control really that, it, that we're beginning to feel like it's, uh, it's not something we've got our arms around anymore? It's not only that. It's it's, it's so of course control is probably if you ask me the the biggest human ego that we think we can control something that is as smart as AI is going to be. But more importantly, that we actually think in our minds that AI continues to be submissive to us when it is a billion times smarter than we are. And a billion times is not a a figure of speech here. As a matter of fact, if you just apply the typical trends of the law of accelerating returns, which applied to Moore's law, applied to every kind of technology that we've ever seen in the last 100 years. Um, yes, AI will be a billion times smarter. So, so let alone the idea of you can't, uh, you know, control the smartest hacker in the room, but also think of, you know, a billion times difference is like the difference between the intelligence of a fly and Einstein. And, and the question is, yeah. why why would Einstein care? You really, you know, why yeah, yeah. would why, why would Einstein wake up every morning and tell himself, oh, I really am worried about what the fly wants to eat today. Yeah. So it's it's interesting what you say, Mo, because there's obviously a difficulty for us as human beings to conceptualize that something could so far surpass our ability to to think, to manipulate data, and and something that we think that we have played a part in creating, but obviously. Yeah, the, the moment it takes on the ability to start to develop itself, to learn its own lessons and start to go down lines other than those which we may have anticipated for us, it starts obviously to get quite scary. And we do mm. see I mean, there's been some recent legislation in the EU that you're probably aware of, which is certainly the EU's attempt to start to try to put some legislative boundaries on that. But as with all things technology related, the law always seems to be several steps behind what the technology yeah. <laughs> is able yeah. to do. So yeah. I don't think we can necessarily look to the law uh, or regulation to help us in this regard. But I mean, in that sense, do you see that the engineers themselves, the people actually creating the code and the creating the solutions, are they able to police this or is something else beyond that required? 
So, so no, they're not. Uh, uh, neither is regulation in its uh, in its um, you know on its own, if you want. Um, but each has a role to play, and and maybe we can come back to that uh, in a, in a minute. But I, I'd like to pick on a point that you that you mentioned, which is really important. It's hard for us to imagine things surpassing our intelligence that much. Uh, no, it isn't. They already are beating us on everything the world champion of jeopardy is a computer the world champion of chess is a computer the world champion of surveillance and you know face identification is a computer the best driver on the planet is a computer uh, you know the the world champion of go a very complex strategy game is a computer that learned it in a matter of four days it just watched youtube videos and became the best on the planet now, when we understand that, we realize that this is, uh, when it comes to narrow intelligence, when it comes to simple, uh, specific tasks that we are offering to, to uh, or we're asking those um, machines to, to perform, they're already much smarter than we are. They're all also uh, equipped with the capacity that we will never enjoy. Uh, so, you, you know, you and I, uh, Kit, if, if I made a mistake on the road and I uh, was going to get into an accident and saved myself, I have learned, uh, but you haven't. And, and when it comes to self-driving cars, if one of them avoids an accident or finds that there is a, a rock on the road or, you know, a duck crossing the road behind the corner, every other car on the planet knows. And, and that capability, that kind of capability makes them by definition already smarter than we are, already much larger memory capacity than we are, already much mm. more communicative uh, at a much faster bandwidth than we are. And and it's uh, and, and just the fact that they haven't f ventured into general intelligence, artificial general intelligence, as we call it yet, um, doesn't mean that they will not, because everything in the age of artificial intelligence is measured in microseconds not in years and not in months, uh, you know, most of the breakthrough discoveries happen within hours or days, mm -hmm. uh, you know, from getting the algorithm right to, sub so to submitting enough patterns to the machine for the machine to find out a form of intelligence and then zoom yeah. up to become the smartest at that task is, uh, is very, very short and very quick. Now, if so you, if you allow, could be in the middle. So you literally could be in the middle of that analogy that um, perhaps not the nicest analogy that I've ever heard, but the uh, the frog in the saucepan, which it starts oh, in the saucepan absolutely. of cold water, heated up around it, and the frog doesn't notice the water getting hot around it until it's too soporific and then boils to death. Whereas obviously, absolutely. if you had a bot just drop the frog into the hot water, not that I ever suggest this, it immediately yeah. jumps straight out because it realizes the danger. But your point is. We are literally the frog in the saucepan, not noticing that the waters of society and technological change are heating up so quickly around us. Absolutely, and the, and the idea is that we're, uh, you know, we we get familiar. I, you know, I in in, in my book in, Smer in scary smart, I do a uh, an, uh, a sort of a thought experiment. I call it uh, sci-fi or sci-fact, and I start to ask people if what they have seen in science fiction. Is still science fiction, you know. If the if the fold phone uh, of Star Trek or the tablet of Star Trek is still science fiction, is the universal translator of Star Trek is is that still science fiction? 
And then I take you through questions around, you know, in Star, in Star Trek as well, there was something that was called the uh, universal synthesizer or something like that, where basically it, it, it creates a glass of water out of nothing. Okay. And I start to ask, is that science fiction? And people would say, yeah, we haven't discovered that yet. No, we have. We have through the 3D printing, you can print so many things out of nothing at all. You can print, print a wrench on the, on, the, on the space station just by sending the design in bits uh, over a wireless network, right? And, and, and so many, you know, and teleportation and tele telepathy uh, are, are not science fiction anymore. Tel telepathy is science fact because myself and my daughter can understand each other's thoughts uh, without speaking just through a small screen that is called WhatsApp, right? Very, very, <laughs> very, very soon that screen will go away and, you know, whatever she will allow me to read inside her thoughts, I'll be able to read it. Uh, teleportation, yeah. if you've ever put a, a, a virtual reality headset on, is already a reality. We can be teleported anywhere we want. You wouldn't even recognize the difference. And, and so I think the idea of being familiar, that idea of, of being that frog, not noticing all that's happening around us, is definitely something that Scary Smart, my book, is is uh, is hoping to awaken in us. Uh, you know, because honestly, the the challenge is is I'm I'm not a, a, a you know forecasting doom at all, but I actually am asking for action because if we don't take action, uh, we could be in a very difficult place. Yeah, and just carry on with that kind of uh, potential action. Obviously, the, the the last eighteen months, two years that we've all lived through has been um, quite unprecedented. The theme for our summit coming up is all about technology-driven resilience. But putting to one side for a moment the potential downside to concerns for the application of uh, of AI, do you see a, a significant opportunity for AI to? play a part in terms of the way in which we will help to rebuild society and, and restart our economies in the course of the coming years. Yeah, so 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 I, I, I shy away from calling AI a technology, okay? Uh, technology, as I mentioned before, is something that is, uh, that, that creates a, a tool that we can use, that we can control. Uh, AI, I define as a being as a form of being, a form of intelligent being, be it non-biological, but it's capable of making autonomous decisions, it's capable of affecting the world around it, it's capable of having a sense of consciousness, a level of emotions, and believe it or not, a set of value, uh, a system, you know, a value system and a set of ethics that uh, that would drive it, it its its decision making none of that by the way it is up to us we don't program that into ai having said that if we were to uh, to get ai to continue to be on our side hmm, uh, we definitely stand to solve massive problems uh, that face our world today simply because the complexity of our world today has come to the point where um, how do I say that? Where, where, where no single human brain is capable of containing enough of the knowledge, enough of the intelligence uh, uh, to, to be able to solve it. You know, many of us who, who like physics, for example, now realize that when I was a child, it was easy to understand most of the physics around us, including quantum physics, which seems to be peculiar, but you still can, can comprehend it. You know, someone like me, 
could read the mathematics and it made sense, right? But, but now with all of the complexity of our world, no single scientist can contain all of this into their heads. So take a problem like, like um, global, you know, global warming or climate change or you know, um, all of the environmental challenges that we have, solutions could be found in, in the source of the problem, you know, different way of using energy or you know, different um, uh, packaging techniques for single-use plastic and so on. Or they could be found in biology. You, know, you could find some kind of bacteria that can turn things around. They could be found yeah. in, um, you know, in, in material science. We could, you know, but no one scientist can contain all of that in their mind. AI will have that with no problems whatsoever. AI should be able, not not the AI we have now, remember, this is narrow intelligence, but general intelligence, because the machines should be able to talk to each other, we could solve some of the biggest problems that ever faced humanities. Now, the challenge is, if without that level of intelligence, if I told you, what's the biggest reason for our environmental crisis, single biggest reason, it's us humans. And, and so yep. right? and if you ask an in, a machine with any level of intelligence, that machine will at the very least limit our way of life. Okay. And, and that's, that's something that I bring up in Scary Smart, not because I am worried about changing my way of life. I wish for my way of life to be changed so much that I can save the planet, but because the resistance that, uh, that, will, um, that will happen from humanity as a result will lead us into a cycle that triggers the basic rules of survival for an intelligent being. So, so you have to imagine that AI as an intelligent being, hmm, not a machine, this is an autonomous machine with emotions, consciousness, and, 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 uh, and ethics, uh, you know, it, it's also driven to achieve. So it's driven for resource uh, aggregation, it's, res it's, it's, uh, it's uh, driven for self-preservation, and it's driven for creativity. Those rules are the rules that made us humans uh, take over the planet. Why? Because we became aware, able, capable, if you want, of manipulating our environment because we aggregated resources, we were creative, and we continued to preserve ourselves in a slightly harsh environment. Now, AI will do the same. And, and as they do that, we end up in a place where uh, the machines start to view us as not only the problem, but really annoying as well. You know, like, why are you guys so insistent on destroying the planet? Like, I'm trying to save you here, and you're doing all of those things to retaliate. Uh, of course, the humanities, humanities way of, of thinking about that is what is known as the control problem. So a lot of the scientists that are working on AI are also working on something that says, but hold on, hold on, we can contain them. Yeah, just like you can contain your child when they, they're two years old. Yeah, yeah. But when they're 18, good luck with that. Yeah, this back to the point about control, isn't it? That we, we assume perhaps that we somehow will be able to control it, but by the time the genie is out of the bottle and we have achieved, or AI has achieved that degree of you know, you know, sentience, whatever you want to call it, general intelligence, perhaps it, it will be too late. But um, coming back to some of the things that you've written, you've, you've obviously focused a lot upon the role of what we as human beings can individually do yes. in this context. Yeah. And I think as we've discussed, we can't really expect the regulators to save us and probably even the engineers 
or individual corporations aren't going to save us because they have their own interests. And even if one company acted in a certain way, there'd be no guarantee that another country in you know, whatever exactly. other country would do the same thing. So Pandora's box is well and truly open in that sense. But coming back then to the role of the individuals in this, what do you think would be the imperative that we as individuals have as a duty in terms of the role of AI in future life? So, so the beauty of everything that is happening within AI is that it is not within the hands of the of the regulators. It is that it's not within the hands of the developers. It actually is in the hands of you and I. Okay. So, so the truth is, uh, once you've written the algorithm, once there has been a, a certain level of intelligence, you know, think of AlphaGo, the world champion in in Go. Uh, what, where did AlphaGo learn from? It didn't learn from the developers. It learned from watching YouTube videos of people playing alpha, playing Go, right? And, and so the, the true source of intelligence, the true source of ethics, if you want, is you and I, is every individual one of us. And in, in that sense, I position uh, the machines as, um, as our artificially intelligent infants. They're learning from us, our parents. We are their fathers and their mothers. We are the role model that they're looking up to, to get that level of intelligence, to, to, uh, uh, you know, to, to enlighten them, to enable them to set their uh, own form of intelligence. And in that, we have a lot of control. As a matter of fact, in that, if we as humanity agreed to be able to tell the machines that this is what we care about, okay? And what we cared about was in the benefit of humanity, then the machines would probably grow up to be uh, good, uh, kind, generous, loving teenagers that would take care of their parents. You, you see that, you know, one of my favorite examples is in the years I worked in Silicon Valley, you see those amazing immigrants that come from all over the world with amazing ideas. But the kindest of them are the Indian subcontinent immigrants who go to Silicon Valley, make a ton of money, and then suddenly they call and say, hey, Mo, I'm going back to India. And I'm, I'm like, why? And they say, my parents are getting old. I need to take care of them. Okay. And despite yeah. the millions, despite the success, despite the fame, despite the weather of California, they still have that value set in them of, I need to go back to India and take care of my parents. And we can teach the machines to be like that. It's not through intelligence. It's through how, 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 do, how do Indian children learn that? It's because society tells them this is the right value system. This is the right set of ethics that we should follow. That if you want to be cared for when you're an elderly father or, or, or mother, you need to care, take care of your parents today. That who yeah. would you amount to? if you were the most successful person in Silicon Valley, but still didn't care, didn't take care of your parents. And, and that value set is what we need to teach the machines. We need to teach the machines that humanity actually cares about good things. To our listeners, thank you for joining us for this installment of the Tech Law podcast series in preparation for the DLA Piper European Technology Summit 2021 to be held on 5th of October. Please look out for part two of this episode that forms part of our DLA Piper Tech Law podcast series.